Hey, this is Red Beach from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Bonnie Iris, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Michael Glabicki of Rusted Root, and you're listening to the Iron City Rocks podcast. <laughs> episode 442 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 442, very pleased to welcome to the show, finally, after 11 years of doing this show, Liz Berlin, of uh, most notably of Rusted Root. Uh, great to finally get a chance to talk to her. She's also a member of Drowning Clowns, uh, a band that uh, is certainly making some... Uh, Making some waves in the Pittsburgh music scene, Liz has been involved with many, many great things in the Pittsburgh uh, region over the last the time we've been doing the show, and, and even much, much longer. She uh, founded uh, Creative Life Support. You can visit that at creativelifesupport.com. She's part owner of Mr. Smalls, which uh, kind of leads us into why we decided to have Liz on now. Um, as many of you know, with the COVID-19 situation in this country, music venues independent music venues, even nationally held music venues are just taking a bath uh, financially right now. So we reached out uh, to them. They're part of an initiative for the National In- Independent Venue Association, NEVA, uh, has created a uh, website, saveourstages.com. It's a means for you to get uh, your voice heard by Congress to help out financially with some of these venues. As we talk about in the interview, um, musicians obviously are taking this very hard, and Liz knows that uh, as well as anybody. Um, but they still have the ability to sell records. They can sell, uh, you know, the um, little bit of money they make on Spotify and YouTube and things like that. They can sell T-shirts, merch. Venues, though, are really, really screwed. Um, they're not allowed to open in Pennsylvania. They're going to be the last thing, undoubtedly, to open. Even sports franchises are going to be able to get people into venues before we can get people back into live music venues. So I wanted to talk to her about how you can help. So I invite you to check out SaveOurStages.com. We're going to get into that interview with Liz Berlin.
after 11 years to finally welcome Liz Berlin to Iron City Rocks. How are you doing, Liz? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. It is a great honor to, to get to talk to you. I've talked to Michael of Rusted Root uh, several times over the years, but uh, it's the first time you and I have had a chance to speak. Um, oh, how is that possible? It's great to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Um, it is a shame it's not under better situation, you know, circumstances. Um, obviously, true. you know, this is a, a, an enormously challenging time, and we've had the opportunity here at Iron City Rocks to talk to many musicians at many different levels about how COVID has affected them, but I really wanted to get a perspective for you as somebody who's involved with the venue um, about what this time is like for you and, and if there's things that we as patrons of your, your establishment can do to help in this time. So um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what is, you know, I mean, other than obviously you've got to postpone or cancel just about everything, is there any light at the end of the tunnel for this for you guys at the moment? Well, you know, we're we're completely closed down here at Mr. Small's. Um, we're sort of in a period of deep introspection and kind of retooling, re, re, you know, fixing up everything and just planning for the future. Um, it's it's looking like we're not going to be able to open at full capacity for at least a year, which is um, really, really going to be a struggle. Um, we are opening our coffee shop. We're planning to have a grand opening of our coffee shop, uh, Mr. Small's Cafe, on July 31st. Um, and we're, you know, we're planning to, uh, you know, take it outside, take over all of Butler Street and put up socially distanced tables and serve coffee and food. You know, that's going to be kind of our first foray into attempting to be open. Um, and that'll be fun and that'll be great. But, of course, it's not going to be anywhere near the level of, um, of you know, just to put it in strictly business terms, the level of revenue that um, it actually takes to sustain Mr. Small Theater as a venue. Um, yeah, I think a, a lot of people kind of look at the business, and, and it's easy to look at the bands and say, oh, you know, and you have this perspective as a musician, you know, people feel bad for the musicians, especially people who aren't megastars. Um, you know, because you can you can realize that they live a life just like everybody else. You, mm -hmm. you know, no one's really crying for the people who are playing stadiums and the Garth Brookses of the world. But you know, we see a lot of our favorite musicians, you know, trying to do you know concerts online for money. Um, you know, but when you peel back the onion and you start to think, okay, the venue, you know, a lot of places have you know got to make payments on the venue you got to pay taxes on the venue you've got to try to keep employees if you can um, mm -hmm. and then also this there's economic impact around your venue I mean you think about restaurants and people you know people who pay for parking and you know mm -hmm. it's you know your beer distributor for example I'm sure is feeling the pain <laughs> absolutely of, you know things like that um, is there anything I, I I wanted to touch on SaveOurStages.com, obviously, which is a um, a means to kind of reach out to political. But are there, are there other things that, that fans can do to kind of help? I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure, have a lot of great memories of things of Mr. Smalls. I mean, going back forever. Um, are there things that people can do to help, I mean, other than getting the coffee? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've, I've been working um, with other... Uh, 
other venue owners and promoters here in Pittsburgh um, in a group called uh, the National Independent Venue Association. Um, and we've our Pittsburgh chapter has been working really hard to spread the word about SaveOurStages.com. Um, you know, we're just trying to get the word out that um, that our industry, you know, we were the first to close. We're going to be the last to open at full capacity. We've got zero revenue, but still 100% of the expenses. Um, you know, PPP was like nice for payroll, but we don't have any payroll because we can't hire anybody to do anything because we're closed. You know, so it's just it's not like really applicable to businesses of our type. You know, so um, through Neva, we're pushing um, to try and get. Um, we're, we've we've already had one million letters sent to Congress, um, urging Congress to support the the new Restart Act, which is more critical for like last phase businesses, which is what we are. Um, it's geared more towards lost revenue as opposed to payroll, um, and. It's uh, it's just a lot more suited to the needs of independent venues. So um, so if everybody could visit SaveOurStages.com, right there on the front page, um, it'll explain about um, the support for the Restart Act and why um, you know why it's beneficial. And it's got a form right on there that you can just very easily and quickly send um, a letter to your congressional representatives. Um, to ask them for their support. Um, so, yeah, is that would it, be the big thing that I would like to ask everybody to do. <laughs> I've heard from different restaurant owners that the misinformation or, or the lack of a clear message from the government has been a bit of a challenge. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you don't think within the next year you'll be able to reopen. Is that something that you've gotten from the governor's office or from the city or... Um, you know, or is that just um, an estimation at this point? That is, it's not an official directive from anywhere other than, you know, the fact that our venues operate on such a mass scale that, um, you know, even when things can quote unquote open, you know, we're talking about trying to open the theater in late August as more of a restaurant sort of dinner theater paradigm. And our maximum capacity then will be 130 and, you know, we're going to try and do it because we have to do something, but it's far, far below the amount of attendance that, that we rely on to function, you know. So in that sense, um, you know, by saying a year until we're able to fully reopen, we're looking at, you know, we're just kind of estimating for ourselves in looking at the trajectory of the illness, the lack. The, la the lack of um, ability that this country seems to have in preventing the spread um, and just looking at sort of naturally how long it's going to take for this illness to take its course. But not only that, once it is over, like say, say that, you know, some miracle happens and in four months from now or six months from now, all of a sudden it's over. Yay, everybody can open. Well, w venues are going to have to book acts that are reliant on a network of um, venues across the country to be open and you know be functioning. So these tours are booked four to six months in advance. So even if we were to get the word that we could open tomorrow, that's still going to be at least six months before we're actually functioning. So that's yeah. why we say it's going to be over a year. 
And yeah. that's that's just a guesstimation. None, none of us really know. It could be more than that. Yeah, and you're also fighting. I think one of the things you're going to see in this this part kind of reminds me of what it was like post 9/11, where you might be fighting just people's apprehension of being in crowds for a period of time. You know, there's a certain people yeah. number of people I think they're clamoring to go see anyone right now. You could you know, resurrect, you know, any music any musical act right now and stick them on a stage, and I think somebody would come see them because they're sort of starved for live music. But I think. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain percentage that are like, you know, I'm going to give this a little more time. You know, I'm not going to run out and cram into Heinz Field for a Rolling Stones concert with 60,000 other people. Um, Absolutely. And that that's going to be a challenge, I think, as well, which I think, you know, in some respects might help some of the venues, you know, in your group because they're not the mega arena, you know, arena acts and stadiums and things like that. People may feel more comfortable in a, you know, a sub 1000 seater as opposed to a 12000 seater. Right, um, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, well, it'd be, it be but like you said though if we can dream and we can just dream the disease will be gone then that would be better, but um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's certainly going to be a challenge and and I feel for for restaurant owners like, you know, they, you know, and anybody who's dealing with food or you you know, you guys are obviously dealing with alcohol because how do you or, you know order and prepare for things when you know you get an edict on Tuesday that you need to shut down on Thursday? Absolutely. You know, you know yeah. I think about that. You know, how do you stock? How do you you know you have fresh produce and, and fresh beer and, and things like that that you need to run an establishment like that? So it's been a bit of a yo-yo, and I think we've seemed to lack a clear direction. Um, you know, we certainly seem to be reactionary in that, but. Um, you know, it's 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 a trying time, and you know, it's you know, I just wanted to, and I appreciate your time so much because I wanted to give the perspective that this isn't just, you know, the five guys on stage, you know, with the guitars and the mics who are struggling with this. It's it's far-reaching, um, you know, and in, in your your end of the industry might be the hardest hit because you you know, you know, venues can't put out albums the way you know. A lot of these right. guys can sit at home and release a single or at least keep the lights on or sell T-shirts on their website. Yeah. Um, um, so it, it's, I think, really important people to check out SaveOurStages.com. Yeah, um, you know, of the uh, uh, we have t- over 2,000 uh, venues across the country that are members of the National Independent Venue Association. And of those, 90% of them say that if, if there's not some kind of assistance after six months that they will be closing. And then they, uh, that's the, like huge, like 90% of 2,000 in, uh, independent venues across the country are going to close in six months. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, please visit SaveOurStages.com and send those letters to Congress. Uh, Congress is returning from recess on July 24th, and that's when they're going to begin voting on new legislation for Phase 3 funding. So that's the mm-hmm. time frame. If everybody can, can go to SaveOurStages.com, now and and get your letters in it will really really help awesome liz i want to thank you again so much and and let's not wait another 11 years to chat okay (laughs) absolutely let me know anytime you want to talk or again that is saveourstages.com very special thank you to liz berlin uh you can visit her lizberlin.com uh check it out on facebook uh the drowning clowns uh is the band that she's working with right now uh, you can also visit mrsmalls.com to get information about uh, things I know they've had some uh, T-shirts and things like that they've done to uh, try to help the employees over the uh, 
last few months, so check that out as well. I'm going to turn our attention now to um, an amazing blues artist. I have to admit, we've had over the years many uh, children of legends on the show. We've had uh, Dwayne Betts. Uh, we've had uh, Kiefer Sutherland, who Donald Sutherland's son. Um, we had uh, Lucas Nelson on the show. And I think a lot of people, when you think of you know people who come into the music business as the offspring of somebody famous of kind of an easy road um so when we got information that shirley king was going to be uh available to speak to i have to admit i was a bit skeptical didn't know really what to expect um they knew she had done some albums in the past uh but i had a chance to listen to this just tried to sit down and listen to her newest album blues for a king and really have to say that it was uh just so refreshing to hear her take on um, mostly cover songs, uh, but she's got and she's got a lot of great guests on this: um, Robin Ford, Elvin Bishop, Junior Wells, Pat Travers, Stephen Cropper, to name a few. Uh, and she goes out and does some pretty impressive songs: Gallows Pole, for example, "Can't Find My Way Home," "Feeling All Right," uh, and even tackles um, kind of a song I think most singers would be afraid to go after: "Etta James at Last." Um, so. Wasn't sure what to expect when I had a chance to talk to her. You know, you figure, okay, she kind of maybe had a, uh, maybe an easier time getting notoriety than some artists would. But I have to say, after speaking to Shirley King, it was an absolute joy to talk to her. Uh, such a delightful person. And, and I hope that comes across to you in the interview. We're going to play a little bit of her music. We're going to get right into that interview with Shirley King. Feeling all right, 
Shirley. I'm blessed. I am blessed. Well, uh, listening to your new album, uh, forthcoming album, I have to say, well, I think we're all blessed. Uh, the Blues for a King album, where you, you're taking some some rock songs, some blues songs, and really, I love the fact you put your own spin on it. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the album, which, if my my math is right, is actually being released today formally. You know the song selection and and some of the arrangements. How you got, uh, you know, how the project kind of evolved. I actually wish that um, I could hide the rec. I mean, hide this from the record label and say I did it all by myself, but yeah. I cannot. I did nothing but song on the track. I they selected the songs. John Nim came up with the guitar players and everything got put together with Shirley King in Chicago and them out there on the West Coast. So I actually didn't have any input on putting the CD together, uh, hiring the guitar players, or any of the songs that they selected that I did because they kind of whooped it on me. They, they didn't select blues songs. They selected songs that's doing really great for Shirley King today and all this week because everybody just thinks, oh, what a wonderful idea. And I'm like, man, why did you think of that person? <laughs> why did I think of that? But, uh, yeah, but it's all clear, Patrick and John left, and they all worked this out from John believing in my voice. He said to me ever since he started talking to me about this great voice I got, and I hear it a lot when I'm out performing, but... I've never, you know how you don't know something that other people can see and hear, so I don't always, I I think sometimes when I'm on stage, I work harder to perform and get over because I'm not sure what I am as a singer. Mm -hmm. But now, after this CD, somebody's going to have to get a wheel bob or something to carry my head around here because my <laughs> head is getting bigger by the day. Well, that, that's a wonderful thing. You got into music, um, obviously you come from you know, descended from royalty in the, in the musical industry, but you didn't get into music at the you know at least professionally. You know, when people think of you know young musicians, you know twenty twenty one, um, you didn't get into singing. Am I right? Until the nineties? Am I correct? I mean, the nineteen nineties, yeah. I should say. 
Well, I didn't try to make no money singing uh, before the nineties because what was happening, I was dancing professionally and that's why I was making all my real money. I mean, I was getting money and I didn't have to be B.B. King's daughter because I could dance for right. real. So I was actually earning a living for 21 years dancing and I chose that because I had two kids mm -hmm. and I know how bad it hurted me to uh, see my father always leaving me and never being able to spend time with me. So I had kind of made a deal with myself that I wouldn't travel and leave my kids. If I couldn't do something with my kids, I'll wait. And that's what I did. That's why I waited till uh, in the nineties to start doing what I was doing. Because then my kids had grew up, I only got two. Mm -hmm. So my kids had got old enough for me to do what, I, what I'm doing now. And I already told them after I don't sit around and raise y'all, when when I get up in age, don't be bringing no babies here in the world for me to babysit. <laughs> I'm going to be just like my daddy. I'll see the little things and pat them on the head and give them a little change, and you go on because I'm going to be a traveling grandma. I'm not going to be no sit-at-home built-in babysitter. That's and that's that. what I did. I started traveling uh, in 91, and I have not stopped. I've been to some of the most fantastic place you will ever want because people have to save money to go places where I've been to sing yeah. and make money I went to Paris I went to Iceland uh, Brazil uh, Spain I mean people just started wanting to book me everywhere behind B.B. King because I didn't have a record out of nothing I was that B.B. King daughter and that was enough for the people they'll bring me there so they can talk about B.B. King and they'll hire me and put big on the sign, B.B. King's daughter. And then sometimes they get so excited they forgot to put my name on there. That's all right. As long as the check has your name on it, that's that's the key, isn't it? Well, not really because what they were doing was they couldn't afford to get B.B. King. Mm -hmm. So what they were doing was taking second best. And I was blessed to be able to do that because I don't know if you really noticed this a lot, but a lot of kids don't get chance to perform while their parents are still living. A lot of right. them have to wait until their parents die. Like they pushing all these different muddy water signs that wasn't, you know, their daddy wasn't standing on the stage saying, this is my son. But my dad stood on the stage and said, this is my daughter, blah, blah, blah. She's working here. She's working there. You know, he was able to do that because he was, uh, I was doing it while he was living. Right. So a lot of times blues people... Uh, rock and, and other music, they bring their family in young with them. On the blues circuit, uh, uh, blues artists so busy trying to survive with what, you know, the money is not good, whatever. So they can't afford to have uh, the thing like how I had it. And the reason my father was able to do it like that, because he got with the right people after paying his dues, after working clubs where the a promoter going out the back door with the money after being ripped off, after not getting paid certain amount. He went through all the things that you go through before you make it famous. Mm -hmm. And at the ripe old age of 68, turning into 69, that's when he started getting all his good luck. He got with Sid Seinberg, and that was, hey, the dust was dropping, B.B. King was gone. But that didn't happen until he was in his late 60s. And I am 70 years old, and I feel like I'm being a duplicate of yeah. my father. Now, if they just let, if God just let me stay here till I'm 89, I'm gonna have a, a be able to put in a book. Yep, I did it just like BBI. 
I sung and made a lot of good money until I was 89. Then I had to go. Now that's a, you know I think a lot of people would take that deal. Yeah, that's it. So. You know, not not a bad plan. Instead of you know, you got to live, you know, enjoy having your kids grow up and be there for that, and then you know, have the success. Um, Shirley, you know, do you think? Obviously, we we've had a number of people on the show. I recently remember speaking with the son of Willie Nelson. Um, is it because of the fact that you you obviously are in the same genre of music, but you are obviously a very accomplished singer, and, and obviously people think of you. Your father is a singer, but you know I think the first thing many people, you know, is maybe it's just because I play guitar. I think of his guitar playing skills uh, and the fact that yeah. you're a female singer. Does that make it a little bit easier for you to kind of walk? Those are big shoes to fill. Uh, is it a little bit easier in that you're coming at it slightly different as a female singer and you know not with Lucille on your lap? It does because people will ask me that, and I got that so down pat because I, I got that straight up front before I start singing the blues. I let it be known. If you ain't seen me sitting in no chair, I mean, well, he wasn't sitting in the chair always. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen me playing Lucille, don't ask me about no Lucille because I shake a mean hip. And how could I shake my hips if I got a Lucille on me? Yeah. So my daddy played Lucille and sing. I shake a mean hip and I sing because I'm an ex-dancer. So that gave me a chance to be different from my dad. It gave me a chance mm. to to distinguish myself as a female. You know, yeah. all females don't play instruments. And the few that play guitar and everything, you know, they're just basic guitar players. They're not entertainers. Right. I, I'm a football player entertainer, so I like being able to to work the stage. I don't want to be sitting down playing a piano. My dad wanted me to play the piano. He had his nephew out there, Walter King, you know, that he made sure, you know, got all his musical education and everything, and he wanted me to do that too. And one day he had nerve enough to say, he likes to intimidate me at times. Sometimes he likes to mess with me, with Mm -hmm. my head. And he told one of the guys that that was sitting there with us, See, if my daughter had to went on and learned how to play the piano, she'll, she'll be out here with me. I said, well, I'm singing the blues like you. Why I can't be out there with you still? You know, but I, I understood. Now, I wish I had to play the little piano because that helps you write. That helps you structure your songs. You know, being a musician, I wouldn't say I had to be a guitar player. But if I had a, you know, stuck on with the keyboard a little bit, Right. I'll be closer to doing Aretha Franklin than B.B. King. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does give you a foundation. It, it, you know, yeah. growing up, were you, I mean, obviously you you needed, you know, to learn to dance is, is is an art form in itself, but did you, when it came to your voice, was that something that, that God just blessed you with the way you sing, or was it a craft you had to really work at? It must have been something God blessed me with, because when I was about... Mm, Three years old, my, I went to stand with my father's people when I was about two and a half, about three years old. And when I would go and visit my mama in the summer and everybody knew I was B.B. King's daughter, they didn't ask me, could I sing? They said, that little B.B. King daughter, sing off the song. And they <laughs> thought I was going to stand there and be shamed and stuff. <laughs> I had an attitude when I was three years old. I held my hand out for them to pay me first. You got to pay me because I'm going to give you a show here. You pay me, and I'm going to sing for you. And uh, they give me the money. They pay me. They give me the money, 
And I tend to a song, one of my favorite little songs I used to sing all the time is Mr. Lee. You remember that that old doo-wop type song? Yeah, I do remember. One, one two, three, ooh, look at Mr. Lee, three, four. You know, I, I had attitude, too. I, I was shaking my heels and I was pointing, and, and you know, I expressed myself. And that's who I am on stage. You know, I use a lot of my body language to yeah. express my music. And when I'm on stage, people uh, that, when I go overseas a lot, people cannot talk to me. But when I go to doing a show, they're just like going crazy because I used to tell them, you know, I'm a comedian too on stage. Mm -hmm. You didn't know that, but I'm just telling you. When I would go on stage, I would tell them that. I know we don't communicate the same way. Y'all don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what y'all saying. But here's how we going to do this. I let my body do the talking. And then I turn around and kind of shake the butt a little bit at them. I said, when you see this bouncing ball, do this or do that, you know you're supposed to be able to enjoy yourself. That means dance and have a good time. I said, you know, I'm directing with my hands. So I know that's a language that we all understand. And by the time I get through, people are actually singing the blues with me. They can't talk to me. They can't speak no English. But they go to singing the songs with me. And that's that's so a beautiful interaction, too, you know, when, when you can yeah. transcend languages, you know, with it. And don't speak it, you know what I'm saying? Because my dad always told me, honey, if you're going to be traveling international. Always be polite enough to learn at least about four or five things. Speak good morning, good night, thank you, and you're welcome. He said those are things people can respect you for when you go international. But I'm just as lazy as it as I'm lazy. I don't like to talk other language. So when I go overseas, I stay locked up in my room. And when I do go out. You know, I just do so much of hugging on people and loving on them. They don't care if I don't talk to them. They just, they just love me anyway. You know? Yeah. But, but I never uh, had a problem nowhere I go. And if I go there once, I usually have to go being BB King's daughter. But the next time they hire me, they coming to see a Shirley King show because some of my uh, Facebook fan friends say. It ain't no party like the Shirley King party, because Shirley King party don't stop. Yeah, you've got an infectious charisma. You know, I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, you're right. I think the name recognition, you know, when, when you when you were able to say, you know, you're B.B. King's daughter, that certainly catches people's attention. I don't think anybody's not going to notice that in the world of blues. You know, if you would come out singing, you know, country music maybe people might not have thought of it you know when you're appealing to a blues audience as it is and you say the name you know there's only a handful of names that carry that kind of kind of recognition but you know when you listen to the music um you know i, I love in the in the album you know for example you've got some songs in there like um, gallows pole where it would have been very easy for you to go in and, and just sing it the exact same way you know, as the originals, but you've got you, you very unique phrasings. Um, you you can make those songs your own. And, well, and you I, know, they would have been in deep trouble if they had wanted me to sing them songs like them songs. Because when I listen to them, when I Google search them and listen to them, I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> these are not my style of songs. I'm a blues singer. What they what they doing? You know, and a couple of times I didn't you know really talk to Brian doing this thing because mm -hmm. John the one brought me in 
I would call him and I'd be like, John, these are not blues songs. Y'all want me to sing stuff that I never sung before. And this is like, what am I supposed to do? And John said, you know what? You got a voice. You can sing. Do the best you can, and we'll take it from there. And he just, you know, poured that into me. But my dad had also told me that when he was living, and he would tell me from time to time things to do to help me out. You know, he wasn't mm -hmm. able to be holding my hand, telling me what to But he would tell me things, that if I listened to him, I would get it right because he did everything first before he told me how to do it. Yeah. And he said, when somebody pay you to do something, don't go there and put yourself down to what you can't do. Try it. He said, try it. And if you do it, do the best you can. And if it works, it works. If it don't, at least you tried it. So I start between John telling me I could and my dad in my head telling me I could. I just went in the studio and did my arrangement. I did Shirley King because I yeah. can't sing like nobody. I can't even sing like B.B. King. I can only sing like Shirley King. And in, and in fairness, he was right. You did it. I mean, th these were, you know, and you look at the collection of songs, you know, um, like I mentioned, Gallows Pole or, or Feeling All Right. I mean, these aren't, you know, you think about the, you know, some of the originals or, or even like um, the popular versions of these songs, and you think, okay, who's going to sound like Robert Plant and Steve Winwood? Uh, you, but you don't, but you don't need to. You sound like you. Uh, which gives these, you know, collection of songs a very cohesive sound to it, you know, and it, I think it, it, it's refreshing, you know, when you listen to Can't Find My Way Home, you know, you've heard that, you know, some of us have heard that song as long as I've been alive and you hear it exactly the same way, but then when you sing it, it's like, okay, the words are the same, but it's got like such a different feel to it, and I really, really enjoyed that, you did a fantastic job with those. Thank you so much, you, you all don't know how much I appreciate people accepting me because for, ever since I've been in the business, nobody has wanted me to be in the business. Nobody has wanted to respect me as B.B. King. They grab, they'll grab anybody else, anybody else child and want them to be famous. But they, no, for some strange reason, and I'm the person that's always going out trying to make everybody love me. I want everybody to like me. And my dad used to get on my case about that all the time. You know, everybody ain't going to like you, honey. Don't worry about that. You you like who like you, and, and let them like you if they like you, and if they don't, they heck with them. And I just was always that kind of person, want people to appreciate me and like me. So they got a chance to use me a lot because a lot of people, you know, would play on me just to get to B.B. King, and once they got to B.B. King, they kicked me to the curb. Mm -hmm. But this time... This time around, I'm laughing. Every after every interview, I'm sitting here like this, going off. I'm like, Lord, I am going to have to get a wheel box to carry my head around because my head is blowing up like nobody's business. I'm feeling arrogant. I'm like, nobody wanted me. I took my my uh. I had a lady that was managing me, and she had a lot of money, and she knew how to get record me and pay the money. And, but she asked them at Alligator, you know, to take me under the label and whatever. Sure. And they didn't like my voice. So he he said he didn't like me. He said he didn't. I wasn't his style. That's what he said. He didn't say he didn't like me. He said I wasn't his style. But yet still, Coco Taylor was singing, and I was going in clubs singing, and people was comparing me with Coco Taylor. So I, I didn't beg no more. I didn't 
tried it, uh, the guy that owned the BB King Club told me he didn't like the way I sing. So, and I went in his bathroom one night and pulled all the people out the audience into the bathroom, into the ladies' washroom. But people have really tried to uh, strike me down ever since I came out here and started doing it. They didn't do it as much when I was a dancer because mm-hmm. I wasn't out there competition to them. But right. once I came on the scene, I might have not been able to sing as well as they were. I hadn't been out here long enough, but I came on with strength because I had sit all my life and watch a man do what he did. And I knew how to do what I was doing. I wasn't guessing. I didn't have to think about it. I, I just, I knew how to do it. And I did it because I saw how well people liked it. So I've been able to really do really good. And this has took me to a level that I've never been before. First of all, I'm doing interview on rock stations and oh, wait a minute, a couple of times when I was out there on the road trying to uh, do 31 one nighters, a couple of rock clubs let me came up and never took out BB King daughter. But you know, it wasn't hardly, wasn't a lot of people there because it wasn't a rock act. It was a blues thing up in the rock club. But right. now. I possibly could step up in a rock club and, and generate me a little crowd just like every other rock singer because these songs are very related to the people that know about classic rock and all that yeah. stuff. And, and even though I had to do a research to find out about the songs I was singing, everybody is talking about them and they're not talking about them from a blues point of view because as much as people want to say the blues, these songs are totally not the blues, okay? They are styles of the blues, but baby, they are songs that people have been on the on the high circuit. I mean, people that played at uh, Woodstock, people that have played where the concerts might have been two or three hundred thousand people. These songs are there. So, in order for me, a blues singer, I, it doesn't matter that I'm BB King's daughter. For me as a blues artist to be doing something of this uh, level of music is mind-blowing. And I'm still pinching myself and trying to figure out, is this really happening or am I just dreaming? I mean, I did about 35, maybe about 40 interviews in less than two weeks. I'm so wiped out and tired, but (laughs) I don't get tired of talking about me and my daddy. So every interview I've done, everybody has had the same thing to say. They admired the way I did it. They admired the fact that these are total wonderful songs, and they just mind blown about the guitar players that's on it with me. So I got the three best things going on in my lifetime that I've never had before in my 30 years of uh, being out here performing. I've been in the business 50 years, but I've only been singing the blues going into my 30th year you know this past December will be uh, my 29th year of singing the blues well you you've certainly hit your stride and you know as you said with your with your dad's approach to stardom you know wait till you're you know in in your 60s 70s uh, and roll with it you know you know you keep singing like this people will be coming when you're 90 um you know, this well, is now a, that I'm not, now that I'm not afraid, and uh, John Nimmin brought me out of my my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Cleopatra's record have a lot of different kind of music up in there. You know, some of it's pretty shady and dark. But I'm telling you right now, 
Whoever wants me to sing on a CD, I'm going to go in there and do it. So don't be surprised if you don't come to one of my shows and one of them rock acts don't ask me to sing and you don't see me with a spiked hairdo and some <laughs> black hair, okay? <laughs> 70 years old, and I'm going to have on the black uh, motorcycle skirt. Yeah, I, rem- I yeah, I, my would not doubt that one bit. I remember I was in ta- I was in um, a city and I was actually seeing a band, and the, your father was playing on the same the same night. Unfortunately, in another venue across town, and I remember I had worked all day and, and gone to the show, and I was like, boy, I'm tired. And you know, you get a little tired standing there sometimes in a show. You, know, you get a little bit sleepy, you're yawning or something. And I'm like, you know what? I can't do this. BB King's across town, and he's like, he was probably 90 at the time. You know, he's out there actually playing the show, so I just need to to buck up and, uh, you know, uh, get my energy level up. Um, one, one thing I did want to ask you, um, the Etta James song, uh, I know obviously that's a, you know, that's a, a brilliant light in the world of blues music. Um, was that an intimidating song to approach in particular for you, or was that one that you're so comfortable oh, with? Oh, yes, it was. Because as a lover as somebody that was totally infatuated with Etta James I didn't never want to hear anybody sing that song mm-hmm. any other song that people sung of Etta James like on my R&B uh, CD that I did in 2000 uh, the lady allowed me to do uh, Tell Mama mm-hmm. I'm a high energy act so I'm, I'm very comfortable with fast and, and hard music mm-hmm. but when it comes to ballads I, you know, it took me a long time as a blues singer to to sing a slow blues song because I just didn't feel like I could reach. I I didn't feel it. I I never felt a ballad. So when people would ask me now, people done heard me singing this song way before this. People mm-hmm. would always be at my shows and ask me to sing it last, and I would flat out turn them down and wouldn't sing it. Now a couple times I sung I rather go blind. But mm-hmm. at last, wouldn't do it. When they told me, you know, to do it, and like I say, I had to do what I was asked to do. I did it, but I let John out. I cannot sing this like Ella Jane. I don't even want to sing it. If I if I don't do it right, I don't want to sing it. So John said, well, now go on and just, just do this, you know, because they had pretty much knew what they want on that CD. So I said, okay. So I did at last, and... You know, I still walked out the studio not happy about it, but I did what I had to do, and I did it the best I could. Now, I know doing it live on stage, now that I got my confidence, oh, I'll do it now. I'll go on stage and do it now because I feel my confidence. Yeah, that's one of the things, in listening to you talk, I think that's so wonderful. I mean, obviously, it's a great record, but I think it sounds almost as much as it's kind of, Filled your confidence um, to make us, you know, really curious for what's next from you. You know, I mean, you've got, um, you know, because I think, you know, if that translates, you start, you know, not being afraid to approach certain material or, you know, uh, you know, feeling that audiences are more accepting of what you're doing. You know, the sky's really the limit. Um, well, one of the rock groups that goes overseas and works for a really big time agent over there have already uh, asked me and uh, sent me the song already to do on his album one of his uh, one song on his album that's not blues at all and it's got totally 
generated type uh, rock that they do not the hardcore rock, but it's mm. the rock. And he already have sent me the song that I got to do after this thing calmed down. I got to go in the studio and do the track for him so he could put that on his CD. And he had already added me to his tour. It was another Spanish person overseas wanted me to actually do 60 dates with him. And that was before this uh, pandemic. Yeah. So people have already started offering me chances to do with them. Because they feel like if they go out there and say B.B. King's daughter, it's going to work for them. But it also worked for me because the places that I haven't been, I can now go. Okay, say, for instance, if I'm doing a show somewhere and I'm using these songs on stage. If one of these guitar players are not working and they show up and I say, ladies and gentlemen, we got blah, blah, blah in the house. And people go crazy looking around because they know these legendary guitar players and they come up there and jam with me. That's going to be a double hitter right there. Yeah. If I go to their shows with, where all the people going to be, thousands of people going to be that I haven't totally always had a chance to, to perform for. I mean, you know, blues artists don't get big crowds. We get a chance to perform in a club or something. The rockers get a chance to be on stage where it could be anywhere from two to three to four thousand people. So if I go to one of their shows and they allow me to come on stage uh, as people did with my dad, their crowd is looking at me. I'm out there with a new crowd and I'm singing something from my CD, but they are my guests. Man, just how, just think about how well that's going to go for me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't sit down and figure that out. I don't figure that out. I said, get caught up on stage with Elton Bishop. Boy, people going to be all over me like they was with my daddy. Yeah, it's it's really. I mean, it, hats off. It's it's a it was a great collection of songs and a great idea to to partner you with. You know, as you mentioned, Elvis, Elvin Bishop, and Robin Ford, and and you know, just a great array of guitar players. Pat Travers, um, you know, it was it really works well. But I think, like I said, I think that the really the thing is is I think it's in, empowering you. Uh, to do what you do, uh, you know, and that's what's infectious about it. But again, um, the album released Blues for a King out today. Shirley, I want to thank you so much for the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and I wish you all the best. And hopefully, we'll see you in, you know, the Western Pennsylvania Pittsburgh region before too long, once this pandemic settles down and we can get back to life with music on the road. You mean see me back? Because I've hit those places. Over and over when my dad was there. I mean, I did a lot of festivals and stuff when when I started out. So I played mm. all those places around up in there. I'm, I didn't know you guys then, but now I know y'all. So I'll be making some phone calls. Hey, y'all, I'm going to be at blah, blah, blah. Get the radio team and come on down. Well, yep. We'd love to yep. be there. That would be great to see. It sounds like a really fun show. and. I really look forward to it. I want to thank you uh, so much for your time today, Shirley. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you uh, for uh, supporting my music and supporting me. And God bless you. And I look forward to talking to you again. All right, again. Very big thanks to Shirley King. Uh, just an absolute joy to talk to her. Um, you can check out our album, Blues for a King. It is available now. Uh, and also, I mentioned some of the guests on that album. Our next guest on the show... Is also a guest of Shirley King's on that album. His name's Joe Lewis Walker. Uh, if you're a fan of music, uh, 
blues, rock music. Uh, Joe's name is no stranger. He's worked with a million different artists, uh, including Taj Mahal and Kenny Wayne Shepherd and uh, just a number of people. He's got a new album out. It came out earlier this summer, Blues Coming On. And uh, we're going to play a little bit of that. We're going to get into that interview with Joe Lewis Walker. Oh, 
Joe Lewis Walker. How are you doing today, Joe? All right. How are you, John? I'm doing very well. You have just released um, a fantastic new album, a collection of songs with uh, you know an amazing lineup of people. The blues coming on. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know when when you're doing these kind of songs with with guests? Do you how do you go about mixing the person to the song, or do you you kind of decide who you're going to play with and then pick a song based on mutual interests, or how does that selection process come in? Well, first off, uh, all these people who have uh, been to, were kind enough to take part in this are all people that I'm a fan of their music. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, some I've known longer than others. Obviously, being from San Francisco, I've known Yarmo longer because um, I used to see Yarmo at the Fillmore Auditorium, mm-hmm. you know, in the 60s, in, in the mid-60s. And, and um, someone like uh, Dion, you know, since I've been on the East Coast to America now, I've I've, I've become friends with Dion and, 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 and people like Sebastian, John Sebastian, David Bromberg, people like that. And um, I, I really appreciate uh, them. Uh, I'm fans of all of those people. And so, and of course, I, I lived in England for a while, and I'm, I'm you know, Albert Lee fan, uh, Charlie Harper from the UK sub. And so I, I, I'm a fan person. So what I do is that I, on the original material, I try to see, well, who, who do I think is going to fit with this? Like mm-hmm. the song Feed the Poor. Feed the Poor, um, w- with that, I, I just heard Yorma in my head, someone stretching out, because his choice of notes on the guitar is always different than any other guitar player's choice of notes. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's sort of the same with Albert Lee. No, Nobody plays like Albert Lee. You know, I played with him, and, and nobody plays like him. He just comes at it from a gypsy sort of perspective, and, and he plays changes. Some guys will just play a pentatonic scale mm-hmm. over a lot of changes. Albert Lee can make the changes as the song changes in progress. So you get a different way of him expressing himself. But with someone like Arlen Roth, I mean, he's just <laughs> he's the real master of the telecaster. I mean, he's just, you know, just I just sit there with my mouth open, yeah. you know. So I, I I really can say that I I have more fun when I can watch these people in the studio, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not one of, I'm not one of those artists that I feel like if I do an album with guests that they got they take one or two solos that I have a solo. Next. Right. I, I, you know I don't have to solo at all. Once I hear someone like uh, 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 Jesse Johnson soloing, uh, 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 I don't have to solo. What I do is I might do a little something like I do the feedback and stuff like that to right. sort of have a contrast to what he's doing. Um, I, I really have, have fun just, you know, uh, listening and, and mixing and producing it. Yeah, that, that takes a, obviously takes a level of maturity, which, I mean, you've been doing this long enough to be able to stand back and recognize when you don't need to play. You know, I don't think you get that as a 25-year-old, you know, gunslinging kind of guitarist. You know, sometimes it's hard to let, you know, let the song breathe and yeah. let people do their thing. Yeah, yeah, not unless you're George Harrison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he never played a note that didn't have to be played. You know? Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Um, when, when you look at, I mean, you've had a, a very long career at doing this, you know, and, and I think... A lot of people, when they grow up, you know, think about their influences on guitar. 
you know, and, and as a blues guitar player and you've done other types of music, I'm sure you have a million influences, but do you get to the point where you start to realize that your playing is inspiring another generation? Does that kind of weigh on you, or do you give that a, ever give that any thought? Well, I, I'm sort of fortunate, you know, that um, I, I've, I've been mentored by some great guitar players. I'm talking about some wicked guitar players, mm-hmm. you know, and I was able to hire some of them on um, a record I made like this about 20 years called Great Guitars. So, um, you know, when the polygram says that you got a budget, you can, you can, you can hire who you want to hire. We just want to have some new songs. And hmm. so I, I hired Bonnie Raitt. I hired Buddy, to the same record, Bonnie, Buddy Guy, Matt Guitar Murphy, Otis Rush, Scotty Moore from Elvis' band, Steve Cropper, my co-producer, Lil Charlie from my cat, uh, 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 Matt Guitar Murphy, Taj Mahal, Robert Jr. Lockwood, Robert Johnson's son, uh, <laughs> I just went crazy. I hired everybody that I look forward, look up to, and it worked out great. You know, and yeah. with 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 this, with this um, it, it sort of I was able to hire people who I look up to with a, another generation ahead of me, people that are sort of my generation, and and a, 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 someone that's a little bit younger than me. So you know, I, I've been around some some great guitar. I mean, wicked. I've been around every. I'm not blowing my horn. I've been around everybody from George Benson to Keith Richards, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody in between, John Lee Hooker to you name it. <laughs> and when I'm around them, I shut my mouth and watch what they're doing, and I ask them questions. You yeah. know, I, I drive, I drive you nuts, man. I used to, I used to drive Muddy Waters nuts, <laughs> drove him nuts until he let me open up for him two weeks at a time. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's always neat to see, you know, blues players are so good at, at you, you know, telling you. The, you know the folks that that came before them, but it, it is neat to see is, is a, you know, there's more than one generation of people who influence. You know, the guys who are coming in your wake, who look up to you as a player. You know, that's a. Well, I'm fortunate. I have some young guys that I've worked on their record. I just did a thing with a young man Tyler Morris here out of Boston. And I played with a lot of young guys, Selwyn Birchwood, and and on and on and on and on. You know, and I and I, I got a few licks that I that I you know. Put, put put in my little vocabulary guitar mm-hmm. licks and I've seen them show up in some of their records, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I know where you got that from, but you don't know where I got that from, <laughs> and I ain't telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always neat with blues because it's the one genre of music that that I think people are really good about, you know sharing and doing guest spots. You don't see that nearly as much in rock music or well, I guess maybe you see it a little more in pop music now, but you know it's the one genre where it's it's totally fine to put out an album of eleven songs and have eight, you know, classics, you know, that you're covering and maybe three new songs, or you know to cover you know your idol songs. It, it seems to be a very uh, people accept a lot of different things out of the blues, and it's 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 nice to see that kind of community and the the, the yeah, yeah. people paying mm-hmm. you know tribute to their idols and, and, and things like that um, the one thing with the new record I have to say it sounds you know you're a blues musician you know I guess by label you have to put some sort of well, label well I, I, I gotta stop because you keep saying that mm-hmm. and, and I gotta tell you that I played with everybody from Herbie Hancock to Wayne Shorter to uh 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 Scotty Moore, DJ Fontana, Melvis's band. I'm a musician. 
Mm-hmm. I, blues, blues may be my mother tongue, but I have a degree in music, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and, and on that degree, it doesn't say a degree in blues music. Sure. It says a degree in music, and right. I, I no, but no disrespect because I, I, I get the feeling sometimes when someone says you're a blues musician that they think that that's all that you do, and 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 I, I just got to tell you that's just not all that I do. You know, and, and, and every record that I've made, for the most part, it can it can show a person, uh, out of the 28 records that I've made, uh, that I do a lot more, you know. And that's not, I play with everybody from Nick Lowe, Paul Carrick, Huey Lewis, Bob Shag, uh, you name it, you know, Ronnie Wood, you know, uh, I, I really. So I guess, and I, I sometimes, I... I I just like for people to get an idea that, you know, uh, it's like somebody said James Brown's just a soul and funk guy. And I tell them, okay, well, put on the video of James Brown and Pavarotti. Then what you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, no, to, and me, that's the thing about, to me, that's the thing about me. No, you know? and, and but that I was... Understand, yeah, I understand. I understand, you know. Yeah, the point I was getting at was there's a lot more layers to that to this album you know you've got i think an extremely uh maybe the word i would use would be fun record you know you can tell there's a lot of energy in these songs you know there's you know some wicked grooves in in what you're doing in this music and i think that makes for a very enjoyable listen you know and and you do you do weave the songs um you know so well you know when you you take an album where you're going to have a bunch of of you know friends and in contributors and things like that and sometimes the albums can feel very disjoint but when you listen to this album aside from an occasional you know a different singing voice the songs flow very very well song to song you know and and you know i have to say the uh, the thing i have to say to me was just just jumped out when i listened to this album was the one sound like that is it sounds like a party in the studio you know and that's yeah i, I yeah, really, yeah. really enjoy that it, well it, it was and you know i appreciate what you said and a big part of the reason that it sounds like that is because uh i, I my name may be on it as the artist and my name may be on it as the producer mm-hmm. but i i really Gotta say that a big, the, the, one of the biggest reasons the record sounds the way it sounds to you, and it sounds sort of like that to me when we're having fun, is that whenever I had a problem, or whenever mm-hmm. I wanted out of a lost direction, I, I could call Waddy, I could call Waddy myself, okay? Or, or, or I, I could call Dion and say, Dion, how did, you, I did six, seven versions of Blues coming on mm-hmm. before Dion even liked it. He just kept telling me, <laughs> Joe, this, the sixth version is a little better than the other fifth. <laughs> then I got to the seventh version with Eric Gales on the guitar, Roddy on on acoustic, me on acoustic, me on electric, Dion on acoustic, Dion singing, Tom Hayley playing drums, Dorian Randolph playing drums, Juma Sultan from Jimi Hendrix and the Woodstock playing percussion, Dorian Randolph on two drummers, singing background, the bass player, Jimmy Brad, and when it got to that point, yeah, I'm saying okay. I, I like that. Now I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I like it better than the other six versions. 
They're only pivot to Wadi, and Wadi would say, Joe, it's, uh, it's there. Don't take, take nothing else on it. Don't take nothing off of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so I, I, I'm fortunate to be able to contact people like that and say, hey, man, what do you think? How do you think? What do you feel? What do you, does, it, does it make you move around? When Wadi tells him, me and me and Annie were dancing around the house, and when Dion said, well, you know, and Joe Lewis, man, me and, you know, me and Sue, we're feeling it pretty good with this. Then I know, because I know that they're not going to lie to me. You right. know, and and, and and it gets that I get that I get that same response to them that I just got from you, which you said it's like it's like you're having a lot of fun. And yeah. that's what I wanted to be and, and you know, I didn't mean to bristle so much about being just called a blues musician but because I, I am. That's my mother's tongue. But I, I I am fortunate to say that I, I have been involved in a a, a lot of different a musical project mm-hmm. and you know and, and it's funny this, and this thing, then I'll leave it alone this, this is my skill if you sure. get Scotty Moore, Scotty Moore from Elvis Presley fans in a room with Chet Atkins in a room with B.B. King in a room with Keith Richards in a room with George Benson in a room with Django Reinhardt in a room with Joe Lewis Walker in a room with uh, um, uh, Travis Tripp Travis Tripp said, I'm not going to walk in and say, hey, I'm Travis Tripp, the country guitar player. Mm-hmm. R- Keith Richards, I'm not going to walk in and say, hey, I'm Keith Richards, the rock and roll guitar player. Well, B.B. ain't going to walk in and say, I'm B.B. King, the blues. Everybody, we're all going to walk in and we're going to say, hey, I am so-and-so blues musician. And here's the kicker. I'm so-and-so musician, a guitar player. Mm-hmm. But here's the kicker. If you give everybody, you say, okay, and put Andre Segovia in there for good, good measure. Okay, what can you all you guys play together? What one kind of genre can you all play together? You know what it's going to be? Yeah, I, that, that's. I, I was trying to picture as you were going through that cast of characters, even what song might be of one. I'm thinking maybe I would you ask. Be- I, I can tell you what it's going to be. The family denominator. Yeah. Chuck fucking Berry. It's going to be a rock and roll song. It's gonna yeah. be a Chuck Berry song, <laughs> and, that's, or, and then it, or, or it'll be a blues song. One of the two. It'll be one of those two songs, and that shows sort of the, the that we're all sort of blues guitar players by proxy anyway, and we're all sort of rock and roll guitar players by proxy because that's the vocabulary I think. Yeah. You know of of us, and and that's where we we all meet. We all don't meet with box cube number twenty two. Playing guitar, we all don't meet on um, Angie. He might have rolled. We all don't meet on. We might meet on Wallbash Cannonball because that's that's Maybelline, <laughs> you know. But it, to me, it's all it, it's organic. It, it's really cool. It, it's really cool. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Little Queenie might be a good choice on that one, but you know, I, I might yeah. defer. <laughs> Any Chuck Berry song. <laughs> Any Chuck. <laughs> Any Chuck Berry, any blues song, any blues song, we'd all know it. Any Chuck Berry song, you would just take the words out and just, you know, throw them up in a bag and let them fall on the ground. It's exactly. all good. Back in the USA, the little queen, old Carol, <laughs> round and around. <laughs> you just go, it doesn't make any difference. Joe, um, obviously, the the face of the music industry has changed dramatically in the last 
months, three, four months. Um, and, and this is kind of a, maybe a, a, you know, you've done a ton of albums. This is obviously kind of dropping at a, at a unique time. Um, d- is it difficult for you to not be able to just hit the highway and get out and play this music live? Or um, how is the experience for you kind of having to sit on the sidelines and wait, you know, to get out there? Well, well, I, I think just you know to be quite honest that it this has hit me and just about every musician I know mm-hmm. like a ton of bricks. Not so much because I can't go out for this one particular record, although I'd love to. Mm-hmm. And you know, not can only mention the economics of it and everything else. And that's who I am. That's my DNA. That's my foot. That's my footprint in this world. And it sort of stopped. But all of us musicians have a, a serious issue about not knowing what our future is. And our future is in the hands of where we don't want it to be. It's in the hands of politicians. Only politicians can say when we go, when, you know, when we can do what we want to do. You know, and we know what happens then. You know, I mean, if, if musicians had a lobbyist, if we had a lobbyist, you know, and we just started to get that now. I, I think we'd have we we have maybe uh, someone pressing our cause. Then okay, you guys, um, this is what's going to be happening for you in December or November. Right. As it is now, as it is now, we're sort of like every state. Every state sort of doing what they want to. We're not doing. We're not all rowing together in the same direction as states. In the cities, we should all have one freaking uh, uh, um, uh, edict that we go by. You know, either you yeah. wear a mask or you don't. You know, or either you, you know, either you want to get well or you don't. Okay, yeah. um, but like they say, you know, you can have your own opinion. You just can't have your own set of facts. You know, well, in that in that realm, you can't have your own set of uh, uh, of of of. of um, medical experts even. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know about you or anybody else, but I sort of like to go with the guy that's been, been doing brain surgery for a while before he does brain surgery on me. Yeah. I, I really don't want to go uh, go with the people that say, well, you know, drink some chloroform and take, give me a call, let me know, oh, no, don't take that, take some halicoquiline. No, don't take that. No, no, you know, no disrespect. I'm not trying to ruffle anybody's feathers. But I, I sort of, you know, um, I, I I sort of believe in, in deductive reasoning and independent thought, you know. But sometimes um, we have to think as we have to act as a collective, you know, yeah. for the better of all of us. And right now, there's nothing like a house divided. But I, I just don't know uh, in in this kind of climate. How anything good's gonna happen? You yeah. know, I, I, I hate to say it, but you know, um, with I, I don't know how anything good can happen with over 120 million of, of our fellow countrymen and women being dead and not even being fucking mentioned in some circles. Excuse my language. You could take it out of the interview. So no, piss me cool. off. Even think about it. And it, how we can have. 44 million of our fellow countrymen and women out of work who weren't out of work and don't get in line for eight hours 
I can't see how we can have our youth out there demonstrating being called terrorists and stuff. Yeah, you got some fucking knuckleheads. Put them in jail. Okay. Good deal. But you got youth out there. I can't see how we can have uh, um, of, of, of anyone, I don't give a damn who you are, saying we don't need to test more. You know, we your grandmama in the, in in that in, in, in that uh, 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 assisted living, you know, she don't need to be tested no more. Well, I, I don't know who I don't I don't know I don't even begin to know where to start because music is just one microcosm of our society, and right. you know we can deal with anything. We've done it before. We've dealt with anything. And we've, now we have social and racial problems. We can deal with that. But we can't deal with it if we don't try. You know? And right now, I, I, just, I just leave it at this. I read somewhere where, uh, 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 I forgot who it was, a writer said, one third of America can watch the other third kill the other third while 10% stick their head in the ground. And who benefits from that? Well, let's see. <laughs> Just look towards what used to be USSR. Who benefits from it? We don't. Americans don't. We don't. We don't benefit from this stuff, man. But I'll tell you what. It's not going to get any better. You know. I, and people think that the, the, you can carry all the guns you want to to a state house and say you need your own rights to not wear a mask. You can't intimidate a virus you can't shoot it it's not going anywhere you know right. so what, what, what are we to do do we believe our, our experts or do we not you know pay attention to what's going on yeah and it is unfortunate like you said the, the, the divide in thinking is so wide you know between people that you know it's, it's difficult because you can look at things and think certain things are common sense and then realize there's a whole, you know, collection of people who are just flying in the face of what makes sense to you, and it it is certainly become well, extremely politicized, and that's that's unfortunate. Yeah, 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 and that that's the unfortunate part about it is that I, I think left our left our brothers, we all want the same thing, we all bleed the same, we all want our thing for each other to be better. Mm-hmm. It's just when it gets politicized, it just makes you want to cry. You know, it really does. And I don't know. You know, I don't know where it ends. I mean, do we wait for 200,000 Americans to die and not one person gets mentioned? Not one person. I, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around that as an American. How, how do you? I don't, know. I don't even want to get started on it. Man. I just. Sure. Like if, if, if this is where we're headed as a country, we're in a hell of a lot of problems. You know? Yeah. We, I, I don't even know how to, I don't, if we were going to a foreign country and we did, we'd say, oh my God. Yeah. You know, oh my God. I'm not know, going so, there, yeah. 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 So I hopefully, you know, this ship will get run and I have 100% faith in younger people. Not that they're going to do the right thing all the time, but that they're the ones that are being left this, this shit down that we're leaving them. And they're the ones that Greta Thornburg coming over the one that, that pretty much read these politicians the riot act about the um uh, uh, global warming. And you know what? It doesn't take nobody. Okay, we got our own set of facts, 
And a scientist that says it isn't global warming. I'm not a scientist. Okay, well, simple as this. Get a, uh, a picture from outer space of the United States four months ago. Get a picture of it one month ago, and you'll see most of the smog's gone. Most of the shit's gone. We have the opportunity to do that now. We have we have the opportunity to say, okay, if you drive on a Monday and a Wednesday, your license plate, you can drive in a carpool. Okay, if, if not, you have to take rapid transit. Make rapid transit available. If you if you okay, and then flip it around. If you have the license plate that is an uneven number, then you with people with a like-minded license plate can drive on certain days. It's a no-brainer. You cut greenhouse emissions in half. But first, you got to believe in it. You yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever seen smog? Yes, sir. I live in Pittsburgh. Uh, Let me ask you another question. Did it get there by the deer walking? Did it get there by the squirrels that I got in my backyard? Did it? We created it. So now we have the opportunity to, you know, but then again, when you get to somebody 50 and 55, they start talking politics. They don't start talking about the earth. And, oh, that's for hippies. That's for tree huggers. That's for um, Indian shamans. No, man. This earth's been here all this time. All this time it's been here. I, I think we can do better. Uh, you know, I really do think we can do better. I and sure. we got to. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the key, Joe. You hit the nail right on the head. In the long yeah, run, we, we have to. to. Joe, just one last question. Obviously, you, you probably had most of this record wrapped up before this all started. Have you had, I mean, Obviously, you've had time, probably, but have you started to work on new material beyond this, you know, to kind of fill the time? Well, I'm going to let you in on a secret. When I, when I start making one record, I don't record tracks for one record. I record tracks for two records. So I've got, like, ten tracks already recorded. For the ready next to get. Yeah. That's yeah. a smart man. Yeah, you know, I just want, once you got all the people there, you might as well keep them going just to get... You know, just yeah. come up with the tunes, and you know, and, and so yeah, I've been um, you know working on things. So. Wonderful, well, Joe. I want to thank you so much. I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, the new record is available now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Blues coming on a fantastic collection of just an amazing who's who, um, least of you know, amazing work by yourself, and uh, really looking forward to seeing what you have coming down the road, and hopefully, you know. Before too long, we're talking about you coming into Pittsburgh to do a show for us, man. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. All right, big thank you to Joe Lewis Walker and really all our guests, Shirley King, Liz Berlin. Uh, kind of eclectic mix this time around. Um, really wanted to get that chance to talk to Liz Berlin, as we mentioned at the top of the show, SaveOurStages.com. A little bit of time left to get your uh, your uh, petition in uh to go to congress before they come back in session so saveourstages.com please check that out consider uh filling that out uh, really important really for all these musicians you know the guests on this show uh do have one thing in common is they all you know they they make their live life uh traveling playing you know clubs uh and and venues that are really in jeopardy you know we think about the the, the pittsburgh music scene we have uh you know obviously some very big venues um, that also share space with sports teams and 
you know, are funded by, you know, taxes and things like that. But a lot of venues out there that uh, don't have the benefit of having a professional ice hockey team play in their uh, venue and, and help pay the pay the electric bill. So um, it's important we think about those people in this time. You know, they've got not only employees to feed, they've got cooks, they've got uh, businesses that rely on their business. You know, this is this is such a far wide. Uh, reaching problem right now so anything we can do to help i encourage you to do so uh, but again thank you to shirley king and joe lewis walker both of which who have new products out so if you enjoy the music you know spend the 15 bucks or 10 bucks on a digital whatever it is to purchase the album you know that's what keeps them able to continue to do what they do um and obviously i think as i said to, to liz in the interview i think any band could play right now and draw a huge crowd if they were allowed, um, but unfortunately they're not, so it doesn't give them the opportunity to, um, to to generate income. You know, it's it's a business, it's the music business. I think um, I remember hearing Joe Bonamassa say that in an interview just recently. You've got to be good at music, you've got to be good at business, and right now the business is damn near impossible for anybody. So. Anything we as fans can do to help, um, that's been kind of the goal of Iron City Rocks from day one, is to help venues and musicians get the word out about what they do so that they can continue to tour so they can come to pittsburgh so they can come to cleveland or erie or tucson wherever it is you live uh, sound of our voice you know we rely on bands getting out the word about new bands and new albums and things like that so they can tour so uh it's important that in this time when they can't tour that we continue to to support them as best we can obviously many of you might be in a situation where you don't have um, you know the means to support because of a, a loss in, in your job or something we you know or we certainly feel for you as well so we just ask that you consider doing what you can and uh, that's all we all can do right now so until next time we want to thank you so much for listening you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com we are on all the social medias forward slash iron city rocks if you're looking for those or drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com until next time thank you so much for listening